0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe. Bring the Vegas gaming experience to the palm of your hand. Bet your favorite team, try your luck in a casino, or our poker room. The earliest sports
0: lines and the biggest limits online. Lots of deposit options. Bet on live events as they happen. The next play, the next score. Get
2: winnings fast or roll them into a parlay and win even more. Visit BetOnline today and see what millions of customers have experienced for over 20 years.
1: I want to hear cannons. Three-step drop, close to the end zone. Caught oh, ball, touchdown, Tampa Bay! Mike Evans reaches up with one hand and grabs it in. Here they go again, Temple dropping the throw, What's out they got those to the left, it's intercepted to the 35, outside the numbers to the 40, to the 35, to the 30, to the 25, to the 20, to the 15, 10, Mike Edwards, touchdown Tampa Bay, that's the dagger my friend. This is the big nasty, yeah, big nasty Hall of Fame, Tampa Buccaneer fan baby. This is Mike Allstock, Tampa Buccaneers, and you're listening
0: to the Cannon Fire Podcast. Cannon
1: Fire Podcast, brother,
0: you ain't listening,
1: and you're missing out. Woo! And the cannons go. Cannon, fire them. Keep on firing them. Keep on firing them.
2: Hello, and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Pleasure to have you hanging out with us. I am your host, as always, Rhett Matthew. Joined alongside me. My good buddy and co-host for the evening, filling in for the suspended Evan Wanish. We'll get into the details on that. Um, maybe never, because James, uh, you, you're familiar. what he did was egregious, and, and that's all we got to tell you. But James Hill from Boxnation.com is here. And ladies and gentlemen, a very special guest of the pod tonight, the Godfather, if you will, of Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcasting, The legend himself, from what the Buck. Derek Fournier. Derek, old school Fournier. I'm sorry, I forgot the most important part. Pleasure to have you both here. How are we doing? Happy Friday.
1: Great to be here. Wonderful to make it through another week and be staring down the barrel of a a weekend of fun and frivolity, which I'm sure will be capped off by an ever exciting game against the Los Angeles Rams. The
2: three and five Tampa Bay Buccaneers starving for a win coming into this one against the Super Bowl 56 champions. The team that ended their season last year in the divisional round of the playoffs inside the same stadium that they will meet this Sunday at 425 p.m. Matt Stafford, the quarterback for L.A., Tom Brady, the quarterback for Tampa Bay. And the million dollar question coming into this one as we break down this week nine contests. Are the Bucs finally going to get their revenge? Um, You know, it's funny because if we were talking about this game two weeks ago, I know it would have been just as much, if not more doom and gloom, than we have right now with a 3-5 and record. But the fact of the matter is the Rams are 3-4. and The Rams just won the Super Bowl, and they are also underperforming this year. Not saying that's an excuse, but I feel like it does change the narrative of this game just a bit, depending on who you talk to. And James, I want to get your take on this first, but... Bucks are 3 and 5, Rams are 3 and 4. Both squads have underperformed so far this year, maybe for different reasons. But that does that change this contest at all because I know we talk about records and that doesn't always matter schematically. LA has always been a tough task for this Bucks team. Does that change this weekend?
0: Well, you know, obviously this was already going to be an important matchup going into this year because the Buccaneers, like you said, Rhett, have always struggled, you know, against the Rams in certain situations. They eliminated the Bucs from the playoffs last year. So that's already a factor going into this game. But you take into account their records right now. Both teams are struggling. And this is an even more important game than what it already was, right? Given the... Potential season-long implications if the Bucks lose this game, or whichever team loses this game, could be a very long remainder of the season, right? And it also creates a much more difficult situation for whatever team that may be that loses this matchup to rebound and really get things going again to try and make some type of a playoff push. So there's definitely a lot of storylines going to this matchup. This is already a difficult matchup that already has even more pressure put on top of it. Now, will things change? Will the Buccaneers be able to get the better of the Rams in this situation, or we're just gonna have to wait and see on that. There's a lot of different factors that go into that. As you said, schematically, it seems like the Rams coaching staff always has the Buccaneers coaching staff's number, much like what we've seen in games against the New Orleans saints. And, you know, Hey, their main play caller, their offensive minded genius is still there in LA with Sean McVay. So We'll just have to wait and see we'll have to dive into it, obviously here in this live stream, but yeah, this matchup has even more pressure than what was already expected to be going into this season. Now with both teams at three and four, three and five, makes it a lot more important of a game.
1: Yeah. It's almost like it's hard to win football games. Um, uh, people have, have not been paying attention for the last, I don't know, 57 something years. Right. So it's really hard to win a lot of football games. yeah. You know, we become very myopic in our fandom, and, and I think that coming into the season, uh, many Bucks fans felt we should walk all over every team and, you know, Bucks by 30, as it were, uh, every week. And as it turns out, that's really hard, and it becomes even harder when you build your success around older players. Uh, that's not a, to besmirch the older player. There are incredible advantages to having older players. But one of the the secrets to any Super Bowl is healthy at the right time. And that's why I've sort of been trying to preach that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I know this is very much an old bull versus young bull story. For those of you who don't know that story, go look it up. But essentially, the old bull on the hill knows it's not about rushing out to 8 no. That's always fun. As a fan, you want to win every game. And, it's, and God knows it's way more fun to win than to walk out of a stadium having an L hung on you, right? But I think this team knew that you always have a narrow window when you go with an aging roster. Now, we're not distinct, you know, we're not incredibly... Older than other teams. In fact, we're probably only top third, I would guess, in the total age. But when you if you boil that down to our key players, right, we're a little long in the tooth, especially at the QB position. And uh, and so I think when you look at that, this team was like, all right, well, we're just gonna do whatever the hell we can do to to get into the playoffs because we're gonna have some people that are gonna get dinged up and are gonna have to get healthy. But if we can be healthy when that starts, then we have a shot at getting the the ring. Um so yeah, I agree with James as well, you know the complexion has changed because we, we dropped two games. that should have been wins with Pittsburgh and, and Carolina. And those are ones you got to collect, right? You got to collect those chips because they're supposed to be easy. There's no easy game in football, despite what 78.4% of Twitter would tell you uh, because they did the mathematics and it should be easy to determine who wins. And we know that's true. Certainly by the way, Vegas works, right? Cause all of these people are winning in Vegas and they all live in $14 million homes. And if you're not picking up on my sarcasm, you're not listening close enough. Um, but but I think that that at some point that marathon you got to start your kick, right? And right now at three and five, I you know I was always the guy that was like, is this a must win game? People are talking about must win games in like game four of the season. It's like, yeah, uh, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, 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 go for it. Like, get the fuck out of here. No, mathematically it's not a must win game. That's not how math works. You can be mad about it. And you can start talking about emotions, but that just makes you emotional, right? But you stare at this game, and I'll tell you what, the the Rams are having the exact same conversation because they've got that offensive genius over there who ain't doing shit, right? <laughs> so, you know, we've all got a pile of crap in front of us, and someone's got to turn that thing into what something looks like a beef stew real quick so we can make it into the playoffs. So as a Bucks fan, I'm, I'm just excited to see it. And hopefully this team will wake up. There's a lot of proud cats on this team wearing that helmet, and they need to show it.
2: Yeah, and I think some uh, some perspective like this is important because we have seen Tampa Bay Buccaneers teams in the past at three and five, and this is going to open up a, a conversation about the coaching. We'll get to that later in the show, but I wanted to ask you your opinion, Derek, on this. We have seen the Bucs before at three and five. What was it, 2016? They were three and five, won five in a row, ended up eight and five at the end of the year. Now they went nine and seven, missed the playoffs. But the fact of the matter is, teams can rally. It's not about how you start; it's how you finish. And I also feel like when you have Tom Brady at quarterback. It's not over until it's over. We saw that in the divisional round last year against the L.A. Rams. So with that being said, you bring up how, you know, this box team being a little bit wiser. Can they pull it around? Absolutely. They can with this roster. There's no excuses as to why they couldn't at this point. But you look at the landscape of the NFL this season. I know it's cliche to say, oh, any given Sunday. But like that's that's real shit this year. And that's more real than it ever has been. I know the Eagles kind of, you know, they came through at the end, and I, I think they were able to cover, too, which is great. Um, but they were struggling against Houston last night. It was Thursday night football, but the Eagles are supposed to be the best team in the league. And uh, and Lovey
1: Smith is supposed to be the worst coach in history. Right, and the Texans right. are one of the worst teams in history. Yeah. And they're playing with half the players that were supposed to play on the team.
2: And on prime time, short week, yeah. they took Philly all four quarters. They, they really oh, yeah. did. And um, with that being said, What do you make of the landscape of the NFC in particular? Because thank God the Bucs are not in the AFC. We'd be looking down the barrel of a playoff exit already. But the Bucs still have just as much of a chance as teams like the Rams, the Packers. And while different things are happening in those camps alone, I mean, every team knows that all you got to do, winning cures everything. And and right now, like the Bucs know that they got to get their shit together, but they still have just as much of a chance as they would as any other three and four, three and five team right now. The NFC is just not good this year
1: yeah it, it's not and it it's either objectively not good or it's just relatively not good meaning that all of them are equally sort of mediocre and i think you can look at our team and then sort of project on others because i don't spend enough time watching other teams until they play us uh or if we're like i watched a little bit of the eagles game last night because you know thursday night football and, and why not um if you look at our team and i know this is i think an unpopular position my man uh Robert talks about it all the time. And he's been on this for a long time outside leverage. You know, yeah. The, yeah, the, the defense. Yeah. The, the defense just has not been what it needs to, or it has been what it needs to be well enough. It hasn't been as dominant as people want it to be. It hasn't been the defense of your, but it's been good enough. And our offense, which has all of this potent power has just not gotten the job done. Now it's easy to point across the line of scrimmage, right? It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. But when you look at those games, you have two extended drives, you know, 10 extra points anywhere, right? From this, this vaunted offense. And we have a very different season. Um, I think if I watched Packers games, I'd probably feel the same way, but I don't know who the hell Aaron Rodgers is throwing to when when Lazard went out. It was, it's a wrap. I mean, I don't think they got another receiver up there at this point. So um, we are very much fortunate. Um, And, and so we've got to do, I mean, you look at our, our division, the Falcons leading it. You remember the Falcons, the first two or three games of the season. I mean, it didn't look like they could play with themselves, let alone play with anyone else. And here they sit atop the damn division. How did we do against the Falcons, by the way?
2: I held them in check and until they didn't. And, and listen, we... Yeah. We talked a lot about Devin White this week. Everyone talked a lot about
1: Devin White. This yeah, it's super but, but fun to talk about him this week. Yeah,
2: it, it, right after that Falcons game is when that ill-fated quote came out where he says, you know, when you get bored of imposing your will on a team, you tend to let them back into the game. And a lot of people think he meant one thing. A lot of people think he meant something else. At the end of the day, he probably should have used a better choice of words. Um, but they beat the Falcons like they should have. But I, I will say I agree a lot with what you're saying about this defense, and I agree with Robert. And listen, I really enjoy Robert's content. We've been going back and forth on Twitter a little bit this year, and I don't know what it is. As much as I like Robert and as much as I like his his content, I don't think I have ever once seen him give this offense an ounce of credit for anything. I will say that the problem with the Bucks this year, especially their defense, uh, they are – clearly the result of a team that just doesn't know how to score points because this this defense in a lot of games this year where you look at the run defense just getting absolutely torn to shreds a lot of that happens in the second half of the game absolutely baltimore baltimore didn't work their game plan until the third and fourth quarter and when they did it it was flawless because our guys were gassed you know what i mean like they weren't getting any points on the offensive side of the ball your defense is out there those guys have played great this year up until the point where they are just so tired from being out there and, you know, having to to keep the Bucks in the game the way that they have has been an issue this year. But let me ask you another question about this this Bucks roster. And this has to do with coaching. I want to kind of work this into it before we talk about some of the defensive players coming back this week. We just got your opinion on the landscape of the NFC. You, you know, most teams looking at a mediocre record, asking themselves, how can we fix it? For the Bucs, we know what they have to fix. We know how they have to get better. We've seen them do it in the past. But what do you make of Todd Bowles so far? His first year as head coach for Tampa Bay, his second head coaching tenor in the NFL, and he has got Tom Brady and a very talented Bucks roster sitting in a three and five record. And to a degree, people are going to point fingers at the coach. This is this is a first season for him. I know that he was worked in, you know, defensive coordinator the past couple of years with Bruce Arians and his staff, but that doesn't mean the adjustment's going to be easy. So I think there is an adjustment period with this head coach, but how much slack are you giving Todd Bowles for having this Bucks team at three and five in, in week nine? And what could be Tom Brady's final season with this roster?
1: Um, so again, I, I, I will be in the unpopular position um, here. I think coaches should have contracts that are minimum five years. I actually have lobbied before. It should be seven to 10. I don't think a coach in any capacity is showing that they are incredibly skilled by coming in and doing amazing turnarounds, and I think if you look back on time, the ones who have have then fallen off, you know, precipitously thereafter. It's it's catching a tiger by the tail. You have to really build your structure. Uh, what I think Bruce did, which I admire, Bruce has always been someone who advocates for and advances his his guys. Right, uh, getting Todd in a position with a good roster is way better than what Todd faced when he went to New York. So. Bruce obviously thinks very highly of Todd. I think a lot of folks believe highly in Todd's defensive mind, which is fantastic. Todd doesn't try and weigh into the offensive game. He's got Byron over there, and I know that Byron's a whole different uh, kettle of fish that I'm sure we'll want to talk about at some point. Um, His demeanor is so different than Bruce's, and this has become such a uh, WWE-like experience for fans now. right? They all want to try and read into every motion, every statement, every action on the sideline um, something greater than, than it really is. So, I'm, you know, I think Bruce is a hell of a coach. Um, I don't think he's quite uh, the coach that people now are saying he is, looking backwards, because a lot of the same people, when we hit a rough patch in the middle of his Super Bowl year, wanted to fire Bruce, if you'll recall. Um, but now they're talking about him like he's the second coming of, of Christ himself. So, you know, it's one of those things where you don't know what you got until it's gone. Um, and he is still in the building for anyone scoring this at home. So if there was magic elixir that he could pour on this to make it better, do you really think Bruce Arians would sit there and go, well, I'd like to, but I'm not allowed to say anything? Get the fuck out of here. No one tells Bruce Arians what to say. So I'm giving Todd time. He was chosen by Bruce. Bruce knows more football than I do. My preference, I'm not a huge fan of that demeanor, but I grew to love Tony. He's got a very similar demeanor to Tony. Quiet, calm, defensive-minded. The difference that I see so far, but I had Tony for a long time. He's got to get his hands around this team and make sure they are representative of what he wants the team to be. Tony's job to do that was easier because they were all young. Now, he had a bunch of young crazy cats like Sap, right? But he didn't let them do their bullshit. Like, he yoked everyone up, he got them together. And this is what it was to be a Buccaneer team. And Shiano tried to do when he talked about Buccaneer men. The concept isn't new. You want a team to have a personality. There can be individuals within the team, that's fine. But I feel bad for Devin because I think Devin's quote uh, was was misunderstood, um, and I think he just he just hit quicksand afterwards. It's been one bad thing after the next, and then he had the issue with Amon, And I love Greg. Greg didn't do anything wrong, so it was good that Devin finally came back and was like, "Dude, let's get over this. It was my bad, right?" That was the right thing to do. Um, but i I'll I, I give Todd uh, you know easily five years. I because I don't want change. Everyone's like, "Oh, push the reboot. Let's go get Trask in there. Get him snaps." You cats who want to rebuild don't remember what rebuilding is. Rebuilding is five years of misery that could be 15, right? We've got a team right now that on the right day could win another Super Bowl. Shut your mouth. Let them work.
2: And it's incredible, too, because I I will say this. You know, the outspoken majority of people who have opinion about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and one of those opinions being – hey, let's blow it up, let's start over. Some people talking about trading for Sean Payton, which is just lunacy. There is not a universe that we live in where Sean Payton's going to be the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Fuck Sean Payton. I think people just need to go ahead and accept that. Yeah, that guy gave us hell for how many years in New Orleans? There is a, I mean, there is no chance. also a douche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate watching him on TV every single week, but... When you have Tom Brady as your quarterback, a lot of the people speaking about the team are going to be Brady fans. And unfortunately, that's become a majority of an online presence for people who are Bucks fans. Because, listen, there are so many Bucks fans, especially listening to this podcast right now, who were listening to this podcast back in 2017 and 2018 when the Bucks started the season fucking 2-8. and eight, Right? Like, what are you going to do at 2-8 and eight with, with a record like that halfway through November? Like, Like, come on. What are you going to talk about? I think it opens a more critical lens as to how people look at the team and how they can improve. But the context is important. Like this is a roster that is good. Some of the pieces are getting older. Mike Evans going to be in year 10 next season. Brady may or may not be here due to retirement. The bucks are going to be in the market for another quarterback, but yeah, you look at the core of players that are there for Tampa Bay and it's there. Jason light has built that on both sides of the ball. James, I wanted to get your opinion on this now, but you know, people refer to the Bucks as, as kind of kicking the can down the road. And listen, when you talk about free agents coming for a one year rental to chase the to chase the ring, like that that's going to go away when you don't have when you don't have Tom Brady. But you look at how this team has been built, and you look at the young guys in particular who just got paid. Carlton Davis is the first corner we have paid in Tampa Bay since since who? Since we paid Darrell Revis to be here for a season? You know, it, it's <laughs> it's one of those things where Carlton Davis is what you have been looking for for ten years as a starting corner and they got one they signed him uh, they signed him to a contract you've got a big imposing defensive lineman in the middle of the line in vita vea you just signed him to a contract devin white haven't signed him to a contract yet i don't know which way that's gonna go i think he's gonna have to play better if he wants the market that he thinks he's worth right now that's just me personally but He could potentially be here for the next number of years, right? On the offensive side of the ball, Tristan Wirfs at the right tackle position is going to be the anchor for that offensive line for a very, very long time. I think Chris Godwin could be on this team for a good amount of time. You got Russell Gage for the next three years. So looking at the way this team is built right now, James, when people talk about a rebuild, give me your opinion on why that's just a bunch of shit.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, right now the Bucs are in a win now mode. That's... Apparent, They have been ever since they'd signed Tom Brady back in the 2020 season and helped them win a Super Bowl, right? But what people ignore is the core group of guys that they have. Donovan Smith is still, you know, getting a little bit older in age, but he's still going to be around. They just invested a high-level draft pick in Luke Gedeke. They invested a high-level draft pick in Robert Hainsey. They're going to have Shaq, uh, Shaq Mason for another season. They're going to have Tristan Wirth for a little bit longer. That's just the offensive line, by the way. You have Leonard Fournette under contract for a couple more seasons. You have Rashad White, who you just drafted, who a lot of people are very excited about, who even feel like that he should be starting over Leonard Fournette in some way shape or form you have mike evans who's still under contract for a couple of years you have chris godwin you have russell gage yes julio jones may be gone after this season uh and some of the other younger guys but you still have some young wide receivers that you can grow and develop scotty miller is still here you know be whatever your opinion is on him he's still a young developing wide receiver you have jalen darden who you just drafted recently and that's just on the offensive side. You have Kate and co Keefe, developmental tight ends. Who a lot of people are very excited about on the defensive side of things. You still have Devin white who, you know, again, like what you said, Rhett still trying to figure out what's going on with him. You have Logan hall. You have Vita Vea. You have Will Golson, who can maybe still be around for a couple of seasons, Carlson Davis, Jamel Dean, or Sean Murphy bunting. You know, if they decide to bring back one or both those guys, Antoine Winfield jr. The, the names can just go on and on and on. I guess continue to list off players. Yes, this team does have some all-stars that they've brought in. Julio Jones, um, you know, and some of these other names that they have brought in in an effort to win now and names that they've brought in the past couple of seasons. But whenever you think about the idea of rebuilding, really the only thing, the, the big question mark is the quarterback position. What's going to be the post-Tom Brady era? And that's obviously a question that's got to be figured out and an answer will have to be made on that situation was almost made this past off season, but um to say that this team is going to go into a full-blown rebuild I think that I agree with both of you whenever you say no they've got core players here that can be around for the next couple of seasons and possibly even longer than that you just got to figure out what's going to happen with the quarterback position that doesn't automatically mean that a team is going into a full-blown rebuild just because they have to figure out who their next quarterback is going to be. It is a big question, but it doesn't mean that you have to completely restructure your entire team. Two incredibly, incredibly different situations. And we've experienced, you know, Bucks fans have experienced what full-blown rebuilds look like. And I think it's important to ask yourself that question of, is this really going to look the same in terms of what I remember full-blown rebuilds looking like? And the answer is no, of course not, because there's more of a nucleus here. There's more of a structure here for these players, and that's the big difference.
2: And it's It's funny, too, because for Tampa Bay fans, we saw 15 years of failed rebuilds. You know what I mean? We, we saw what was supposed to be a rebuild turn into something else, turn into something else. Oh, maybe this is the group of players that can get it done. And it never resulted in very much until obviously 2019. That group of players comes together. You get the right quarterback 2020. The rest is history. Now, as we check in on the live chat, this is a perfect way to transition into our next talking point here. My buddy Robert Green, outside leverage here in the chat, responds to what I said earlier on the show. He says, uh, where should the offense get quote unquote credit? The offense has been bad enough to uh, cost team games pretty much every week. And listen, Robert, I was more so talking in the grand scheme of things. I wasn't talking about this year in particular because I agree this offense has been dead in the water every single week. But even when they were good, even when they were statistically number one in the NFL in most categories for the last two seasons, even with Tom Brady throwing what eighty-four touchdowns in thirty-two games, thirty-three games. Like that's that's pretty goddamn impressive. And to me, that leads uh to this next topic, which is the offensive coordinator, Byron Leftwich, who I think should get a lot of credit for how productive this offense was even before Brady in twenty nineteen with Jameis Winston throwing five thousand plus yards and thirty three touchdowns. Like that's 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 hard to do.
1: No, no, you don't understand. He doesn't know anything about offense. He doesn't know anything about football. He's a moron, um, and Joe seventeen nine forty three on Twitter has a better offensive game plan than he does. Well, and we run too you. much on first down, except for that data is not accurate. And what we should do is whatever we did, we shouldn't do the thing that we did because the other thing would have been better, whatever the other thing was. Well,
2: let me ask, let me ask you this, Derek, and I feel like you may have uh, you may have foreshadowed your answer here, but we talked to you about Todd Bowles and your opinion on him so far. What do you make of Byron Left uh, what do you make of this offense so far this season? Because I, I'm going to be honest with you with the, with the roster the Bucks have on the offensive side of the ball. I know people want to talk about injuries and that's one thing in itself, but in my opinion, I still don't think there's any reason at all. This team should be three and five and be one of the lowest scoring offenses in the NFL with most of the same weapons that you had last year. I, I just, I, I think there's going to be a disconnect at some point, And I do think Byron Leftwich deserves some of the heat he has so far this season, but I mean, where do you make of of where he's at right now? And do you think he finishes the season uh, as the offensive coordinator for Tampa Bay?
1: Um, I do think he finishes the season. If if he doesn't, then the leadership of the team isn't what it's supposed to be. Um, That doesn't mean he can't take feedback from other people. You've got Tom Moore, who's 275 years old, who's seen more offense than any of the other 20 humans combined. You've got plenty of people around him. Byron is clearly – let's get a couple of things really clear. One, it's tough to evaluate a play caller. Because we don't know what play was called. We don't know what Tom audible out of. We don't know what the reads were. We know we have a lot of option routes. It does feel like our offense has become more vanilla and more predictable. Those are two things I think you could bubble a bunch of the feedback. And that's where a lot of the run on first down stuff came from. And it wasn't ill-advised. It's just not backed up by data. And then everyone got mad when Amon pointed that out. But the thing is, it feels like you can predict what we're going to do. I don't go back and watch all 22. Like you guys may do. And I appreciate everyone who goes and puts in that work, by the way. Whoever does it, let people know you do. And then when they give you an opinion and they don't, tell them to fuck off.
2: (laughs) Right? Not to interrupt you, um, but another thing I wanted to add, just for you know, dramatic effect, we talk about the offense being predictable. I don't know if you saw the feature inside the NFL on Paramount Plus this week where Baltimore Ravens players were mic'd up on their own sidelines saying, hey, they're running the same plays out of the different formation. We have seen this before. We know exactly what they're going to do. And there's even on-field footage of them saying, hey, they're going to run it on first down. Let's make this manageable for us. And every single time They got, got, and, and it's just, I I mean, that's like,
1: the game where we were up 10 to three in the the first half, but should have had 24 to three. uh, And then our defense got gassed and we couldn't score. Right. But but the, the, the the 30 seconds of excerpts showed that the Ravens defense had our plays, all plays. They knew every play they were going to run. Right. And that doesn't count the what three drops uh, to receivers for, for, I think first downs in all three cases. So, so what I'm saying is it's easy once you start to build a snowball of a narrative to go find compounding evidence. You remember the Super Bowl um, 37, right? We, we knew all the plays the Raiders ran, right? We had their former coach. Do you think we really knew all the plays? No, but running, running the same plays out of different formations is actually really intelligent because you have route combinations that you like. Now, if they start to pick up on it, you're probably in different formations to change your protections. Why do we have to change our protections? Because we've had shitty protection this year. Now, is that, all the time? No. Are we? Do we benefit from Brady getting the ball out of his hand in, what, 2.4 seconds or whatever the hell it is? It's a ludicrous uh, speed. He's getting it out of his hand for a reason, folks. This was an offense when Bruce headed a things up, right? We took more shots. We also had a little bit more time. We had Ali Marpet over there. We had Jensen in the middle, right? We had a lot more predictable protection. Now, has Tom had enough time to throw the ball? He has. So Tom wears a little bit of this, too. This team has not been what it needed to be. And I don't care what the reasons are. You know, a divorce is non-trivial. You're Tom Brady. You've been playing for 152 years. Uh, You've got all sorts of speculation. That level of pressure is crazy. At some point, someone's going to crack. You miss some time in training camp. Right? These are all things that contribute to rusty-ass, shitty offense. And what we've seen is rusty-ass, shitty offense. The thing that bothers me the most are things that Tom should be doing or could be doing. And that's not to say that it's not on Byron, by the way. I'm not trying to point the fickle finger of fate at either one of these gentlemen. What I'm saying is they are both to blame and eventually Byron will take the hit because it won't be Tom. It's never the player that takes the hit. It, It will always be the coach and it should be. One of the things I used to just scream about, right now people are playing Mike Evans by lining up 12 yards off. And they're starting in a backpedal. Unless we go to trips. Or doubles where we throw those uh, smoke screens, like we throw the design wide receiver screens. And I've said it for, I don't know, fifteen years. If you line twelve yard, line up twelve yards off of any of my receivers, I do not give a fuck what the play was. They are getting the ball and they're getting four to ten yards, and we're gonna, we're not even gonna huddle. We're gonna line right back up and dare you to come into that same setup again. Those things Tom did last year, he did the year before. He's a coach on the field, guys. The guy, I mean. You remember the mic'd up section where he's telling Leonard, you know, the the, the coverage as yeah, he's doing the As he's action. dropping back. As he's dropping back, right? We're not doing that. We're not taking what the off what the defenses across from us are giving us. And Tom is feeling phantom pressure. Tom is releasing the ball early. He's not climbing the pocket as aggressively. Now that's not to say he hasn't thrown some passes this year, that reminds you why he's fucking Tom Brady. And anyone who thinks that we would be the three and five we are proudly, if we had either of the other two guys slinging the ball around, y'all are crazy, right? So long rambling answer, I apologize. I think it's an oversimplification to blame the coordinator. Do I think Byron is is oversimplifying? Yes. The thing that he said that's the most damning was the thing he said most recently, which is a fundamental misunderstanding, the, in my opinion, of play action. play action. You deal, do yeah. not have to run to have effective play action. Does your play action become more effective if you have run successfully? Yes. But it is not the former. If you use play action, your linebackers have to read their keys. You might get an extra half a second if you clipped off an 18-yard run the play before, right, because they just got busted in the mouth. But play action always works, always, always.
2: No, I I know you talked about Byron going to be taking the hit and a lot of the criticism, and that's – it's an easy narrative for a lot of people to point a finger at the coach and say, "Hey, this guy's clearly 100% of the issue. Execution errors have been just awful this year." Yes, I mean, you talk about just disc- talk about discipline, playing the game. The Bucks have not been a disciplined <clears throat> team. Uh they haven't been executing on on both sides of the ball, and it's been it's been prevalent in film when people go back and watch the games. But let me ask you about this about the offense, um particularly about Byron Leftwich. So we mentioned what he said about play action. Which, to be honest with you, a lot of people not going to like that mindset in 2022, especially some other NFL coordinators who are probably going to look at you and, uh, you know, agree that that's a myth. Um, can we can we agree that not only Byron left, which but uh, just this coaching staff, at least from what we have seen from Todd Bowles? Can we agree that they're a little stubborn and, and maybe it's going to bite him in the ass? How so? Well, I mean, for example, we talked about Luke Gedicke being in the being in the starting lineup as long as he was. And and I know he's a rookie. I know it's one of those things where, like, it's expected that he's going to get his lumps. But there was a point this season, there were multiple times this season where he was almost hurting the team being out there. And it's like, you know, when he left the game against Carolina for Nick Leverett to come back in. Nick Leverett plays well at that left guard position, even though it's for a short period of time. He goes in there, he does his job, he kicks some ass. And then they just put Gedeke back in the game to finish it out and go out there and play worse than Leverett was. And, you know, I know Leverett got the start the following week on Thursday Night Football, but it took an injury for him to get that start, in my opinion. I feel like they were totally content with letting Gedeke stay in this rotation for the rest of the year. And he was a big problem of... Why Tom Brady might feel that phantom pressure this year, and not trusting his offensive line the way that he would have with an Ali Marpet and a Ryan Jensen in that situation. Now, asking anyone to replace Ali Marpet is fucking impossible. But Getteki was bad this year, and I think the Bucks are bad for letting him stay in the game for as long as he did.
1: I agree I, with that. With that explanation, yes, I do think coaching staffs uh, do tend to be that way, especially when you get a young player. Uh, you don't want to hurt their uh, confidence. You want them to go in there and play through these things. They've invested in him, um, but he was not doing well. Now, he is, his situation is exacerbated uh, by a new center, and I think Hainsey's playing well, but it's not the same as having Jensen out there. Then you had Donovan, and that's his inside elbow that was injured, right? The one that was hyperextended? Yeah. So his punch is not as effective to help on the inside either, and we've seen that hurt a couple times. So, yeah, is it stubborn? Yeah, I get it. Um, I think that's sort of a mentality, and they know the players. Um, they probably are trying to figure out how to best uh, take advantage. I think I think the change of guard did feel obvious. I don't disagree with that. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, you've got to trust yourself. I mean, the analytics are going to say, well, analytics tell you to do this, tell that. Uh, but coaching is a lot of gut calls, right? Um, wh- where I think they're stubborn is – they really do believe conceptually we should be a team that should get a yard when we want to get a yard. We have proven that's not who we are yet. We're, we're just not that team. It's unfortunate right? because it is, it's short, yard,
2: short yardage is where this offense is the worst this year. On it third and two, third and two, second and two, like they are the worst ranked offense in NFL history at just picking up a couple of yards when you need that push from the offensive line. And listen, when you're missing a Jensen, you're missing an Ali Marpet you're not going to get that same push. So give credit where credit is due with Nick Levert kind of coming in and adding some juice in the run game last week against Baltimore. But uh, we'll see if that momentum
0: continues this week against L.A. James, what were you going to say? Well, one, one thing I wanted to say off of Derek's point about the idea of having Hainsey at center um, and obviously having Donovan Smith dealing with that week one injury. Um, the coaching staff kind of backed themselves in a corner a little bit with that decision to start Luke Gedeke at the start. Yeah. Over over a guy like Nick Leverett, a more experienced guy. You're throwing your rookie into a very difficult situation and you don't want to take him out because yep. it might mess up his confidence. But if you keep him in and he's constantly getting beat time and time again, well, that's obviously not gonna help the guy's confidence either. Yep. So you know, screw it if you do, screwed if you don't. You know, that's that's where they kind of back themselves into a corner a little bit with that decision instead of saying, well, we have Nick Leverett here. He's got maybe one or two more years in the league than Luke Gedecky. It's a very close battle. You know, Todd Bolst has admitted that and Byron Lutwich has admitted that in the past. Um, but let's go with the safer option here and not completely, you know, make a messy situation for ourselves. But they've done that now. And now you see him backpedaling a little bit and kind of being coy with their answer about, well, we don't know who the starter is going to be. It's just they've made it a very ugly situation a little bit in, yeah. in the middle yeah. of the season.
2: You know, we, we have uh, former Bucks quarterback Sean King on the show every single week. And he says this a lot. And I really, really like this context because not a lot of people understand. First and foremost, the NFL is not a plug and play kind of league. You know, you can't just take an offensive lineman out and expect your guy to step up and be better. Lucky for the Bucks, in short-term bursts of play, Leverett has been better. But I think context is important here when you look at the Buccaneers' schedule and what Getticke's been facing, because it's not like he's been bad against bad pass rushes. You know what Correct. I mean? Like, you look at who the Bucs played. Can we think about the defensive line for the first four weeks of the season? So week one against Dallas, who are their big guys up front? I know they've got a pretty good pass Michael. rush. I mean, yeah, Micah Parsons on the blitz. They're using him more as uh, just an off-ball back this year. I mean, he's facing fucking studs, right? Week two against um, week two against New Orleans. That New Orleans defensive line, I remember that big D tackle. I can't remember his name, but he had one hell of a day against us. Had like two pass deflections in that game. Uh, close to a sack, if not getting one. Week three, they got the Packers. The Packers always have pretty solid players along that defensive line. Week four, Kansas City. You know, you're matching up against like Chris Jones. Like that guy's a fucking monster. And yeah. who's to say if the Buccaneers decide to start Nick Leverett all the way back in training camp, which Correct. by the way, our buddy JC Allen from Pewter Report is in the live chat. He told us back then that uh, Leverett was dangerously close to winning that job. So the Bucs were high on him. If they were high enough to give him the job, who's to say we wouldn't talk about his struggles seven, eight weeks into the season? Because it, this is what I wanted to get to about Sean King. Consistency is where guys get exposed, right? Like, you can come in like Aaron Stinney in the playoffs in 2020 and be a superhero at the guard position for three games. But if you go out and you play 14, 15, 16 games in a season, chances are you're not going to look like that same guy for all 16 games. So I do want to give Gedeke the benefit of the doubt he was bad this year, but he, he was playing some monsters. So, so hopefully Leverett can, you know, can stay consistent
0: is, is what I want to see from him from here on out. Real quick. I, I want to talk about that point. I also want to talk about what Robert green saying, in the chat saying baptism by fire, Carlton Davis faced it in his first year, turned out to be the best cornerback on the team a year later for that point, two entirely different contexts of where the team is at. Right. Uh, Where Carlton Davis came into the team, it was a team that obviously did not have Tom Brady at quarterback, wasn't coming off of a Super Bowl win just a couple of seasons ago, and was looking to compete yet again for a Super Bowl win, or at the very least, a deep playoff run. That's where there's some different context there as to saying, hey, baptism by fire, can the Buccaneers afford to do something like that in a year where it's potentially Tom Brady's last season? And, you know, trying to make a very deep playoff run with some big question marks after this year if Tom Brady decides to retire. I would say that the answer is, Probably not. They probably can't afford to have that type of situation come up right to your point saying that, you know, hey, he's going up against a lot of big time guys. Kenny Clark, David Onyamata, uh, the Dallas Cowboys and, you know, it's coming up, uh, you know, and all these other different types of names. Again, I go back to when you're in a situation of this year where you have Tom Brady at quarterback and, you know, you need to have guys who can have that consistency like you talked about. You're backing yourself up into a corner because you're putting your rookie up against some of the best interior defensive linemen in the league. That's that's not a good situation to put your young player in in such a crucial season. Uh, they had some safer options there that they could have went with and they didn't go with it. And now they have they had backed themselves into a corner, which wasn't a good
1: decision, in my opinion. So a mild counter to that. And, I, you know, JC commenting about how close the the race was in training camp, I think, is, is telling. Um, there's no guarantee uh, when you start anybody, right? right. Uh, and I think this is a really good conversation about if, if if we had had the inverse happen, would we be having the inverse conversation? The comparison Robert brings up, I think, is interesting spice to this, right? Because Carlton Davis comparison, a, a CB compared to a guard, and I've said this for ages, your offensive line is really like a dance troupe. Their individual performances matter. Absolutely, they matter. But their performance together is what makes an offensive line that's why we had such success with the previous iterations because they had a number of these guys that had played well together they knew how each other would respond what i think we seem to have done a bad job of and i don't watch the all 22 so it's hard to confirm this i used to and i could have we don't seem to be giving that guard position a whole lot of help right if we see there's a problem we don't seem to make any adjustments the same way when we've had tackle issues when donovan was out we once again, we're like, oh, well, leave him out there on his own. Whoever's out there, it's his job to block this guy off the edge. No, when you have something like this going on, those are the times where you become predictable, right? That's when you put a tight end in there. You throw Coquith in there, not in the H-back. You put him on the line, right? Because he will block a motherfucker. Um, and, and you you say, you're not going to beat us here, right? Yes, we'll give up something else. We'll give up a guy in a route, but you're we're not going to make it easy here. Um, we don't seem to be doing as much of that, and and – it's just anecdotal again for the lead years of the world to go out there and watch the all 22. I don't even, I couldn't tell you right now whether we're predominantly power or predominantly zone uh, blocking scheme. It looks to be more zone, but, but regardless, there has to be choreography there. And so if you have a revolving door it becomes a problem, we've sort of had that with Donovan's atypical injury going out. That's something we haven't seen. And by the way, everyone wanted him cut a few years ago too. Um, and starting the rookie, like we did Tristan, you started him and he blocked everybody. I
2: mean, he bought that, it, people randomly. I, I think. <laughs> I, I think people. So I was going to say this, you know, probably 20 minutes ago, but I think it's important to mention that box fans are are incredibly spoiled, uh, at least some of the newer Whoa. ones. I mean, at least and in we recent don't know years. Why. In why? recent years. Because when the fuck. Have the Bucs ever drafted a player? I mean, like ever. I mean, even like franchise legends like Ronde Barber. What if the Bucks drafted a player and they were just immediately the best player in the league at their position? That does not happen, especially with offensive linemen. And when you look at a right tackle like Tristan Wirst, I hope that kid plays his entire career in Tampa. Because I don't think we're ever gonna find another offensive lineman just sitting out there like Tristan Wirfs, And that like the only answer we're incredibly I have to your lucky question, for that to happen.
1: The only answer I have to your question is Mike Evans. Now there's probably others. There's oldies out there that may know that's, someone else. That's fair. That's If fair. they're not erecting right now a statue for this man in every building the Buccaneers own, if they're not talking into a license rights to rename the fucking stadium, we are fortunate to have watched this man's career. He is everything you want out of a player on the field, he's everything you want on a player off the field. He has everything you want out of a teammate, and we are all lucky to watch his Hall of Fame career. I, and you should thank your lucky stars that you're getting to enjoy it. And why Bucks fans are spoiled is fucking beyond me, because <laughs> I went for the better part of two decades watching garbage football. Right? People So forget the fact that. that we can go in there and see it, and we're like, fuck yeah, we, yeah. we could win this game.
2: Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Mike Evans is that dude, and I am glad that somebody said it. For the longest time on this podcast in particular, we have a couple of people in chat who have been listening for an extended period of time. But I remember four or five, almost six years ago, I was having conversations with, with Evan and I was trying to convince him that Mike Evans was a top three wide receiver in the league and he was not having it. And listen at the time it may not have been true, but the fact of the matter is he has been one of the most consistent wide receivers in the league. And honestly, the stats don't lie because even though the Bucks' offense has not been great this year, the man is less than 450 yards from another thousand-yard season. He is a bona fide Hall of Famer, and I, I just I think he deserves all the credit in the world. He has been everything that Bucks fans could ask for from a franchise player. He he's my favorite player on the roster right now. Like I yep full blooded Mike Evans guy. So we, we spent a lot of time gushing about Mike Evans. Let's talk about the other side of the football here. We spent a lot of time talking about the offense and where they are coming into this one. I I think this is an important week for the defense, and I wanted to bring this up because we look over to the injury report for Tampa Bay. They got a couple of guys out. Antoine Winfield Jr. not going to be available this week, so that's going to be a blow to the secondary. But the Bucs do get a couple of important players back for the defense. Carlton Davis, your cornerback one, is going to be back after missing some action. And the one that I think about the most is Akeem Hicks. Along that defensive line who has been on the injury report for a little over a month at this point. And to be honest, he kind of rounds out a disappointing free agent class for Jason Light over last offseason. But what are you looking for, James, this Sunday from a guy like Akeem Hicks? And honestly, you know, Carlton Davis coming back. Sean Murphy Bunting going to be out there as well in the absence of Antoine Winfield Jr., what do you look for this defense to look like this week? Cause I, I think they're going to start great and hopefully Akeem Hicks can come out and uh, it may take him a couple drives to work off the injury, but you know, hopefully
0: he can contribute this week because uh, Vita V has been needing some help. Well, obviously what would help the defense too is if the offense can be complimentary too. So like that is something to factor into this game, but of course, having Carlton Davis come back, Sean Murphy bunting come back, and Akeem Hicks come back as well, that's going to help out your defense a ton. Carlton Davis has been fantastic as a corner since, you know, a couple of years after he got drafted. He's been really really able to develop and grow as a cornerback, and he's looked good, right? In the case of Sean Murphy Bunting, he's had some inconsistencies here or there. He should be getting some more playing time now with Antoine Winfield Jr. being out in this matchup. Maybe it'll be in the slot. Maybe it'll be moving around. Don't know. But Carlton Davis, having him go up there with Jamel Dean uh, as your cornerback tandem is going to be huge. You have pretty good pair of wide receivers over there in L.A. with Cooper Cup. He's always been an issue for any team he's ever played ever uh, for the past couple of years. So that's going to be somebody that you're really going to have to key in on and really cover, that's going to be in part up to Carlton Davis. You also have Allen Robinson, who, while some people have been souring on him a little bit the past couple of years, I don't think is a player that should be ignored in this Rams offense. And that's going to be in part again, up to Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean as well to try and stop him. So it's definitely good to get those reinforcements back in the case of Akeem Hicks. Not only is he going to help you in run defense, which the Buccaneers have been struggling with pretty decently throughout this season, but The pass rush is going to help out as well. The Buccaneers have liked to blitz in a lot of situations. I always say that Todd Bowles lives and dies by the blitz. Um, And this may help situations where you don't have to blitz as much. The Rams have played very well against the blitz in certain situations. I mean, we saw that as uh, Bucks fans going all the way back to whenever the Rams beat the Bucs in the playoffs. You know,
2: Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to toss this in there about Matt Stafford. The guy is on pace for 17 touchdowns this year and a hell of a lot more interceptions. He threw 40-something touchdowns last year. Um, But he was the best quarterback in the NFL by a large margin against the Blitz. And that's part of the reason why he was so effective in the Rams' offense in 2021. And surely enough, the season or the play that ended the Buccaneers' season wasn't all out blitz against Matt Stafford. So, you know, it is one of those things where Todd Bowles definitely does live or die on the blitz. And I know Matt Stafford has been underperforming this year. I don't have the numbers in front of me that say how well he's done against the blitz, but I have to imagine he carries a lot of the same traits that he did last time.
0: Yeah. So, so whenever you look at a guy like Akeem Hicks coming back, that should help possibly, you know, in terms of the frequency of blitzing, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers may feel is necessary um, so that's one way to help it out. And also just giving opportunities to other guys. You have a big guy in Akeem Hicks who may make some more opportunities for a guy like Vita Vea in the middle of the defense or Anthony Nelson, Carl Nassib, Ed Rusher, Joe Tran, as well. Maybe Devin White, they decide to send him in on an inside linebacker blitz. That's where you're going to see some of the points of why it's important for Akeem Hicks to come back in here into this defense and that type of impact that he's going to have here in this upcoming game versus the Rams, hopefully.
1: Yeah. uh, Yeah. Go ahead. No, Uh, go ahead. (laughs) Defensive, defensively, um, getting the team back. If he's healthy, will help. All right. Um, people forget Vita didn't actually start out exceptionally well this year. I don't quite know why. Um, he certainly has come about, which is good. Uh, because when Vita's playing Vita's game, Vita's top two, top three middle, uh, lineman in the league. Uh, and he's a problem. He's an absolute problem. Uh, jts has got all the physical capabilities in the world but he doesn't have the head yet so he's he's guessing wrong a couple times when you see him when you see him uh jumping into a gap that's not his and devin has the same problem that devin's got less of an excuse for it um but it's the same problem uh there are times where jts tries to make a play because he's a physical freak and he's just putting himself in a bad spot leaving a gate open you don't Blitz, in my opinion, old ass good quarterbacks, and Stafford is an old ass good quarterback. Remember, Matt Stafford threw for a trillion yards with the Detroit Lions when they had like garbage guys out there as receivers, um, and everyone everyone thought he was terrible until they watched the game and watched him throw footballs through football sized windows, you know, on a shit team. Then they put him with some talent, he went and won a Super Bowl. Um, so I, I think it's a really important point that we're getting Carl, uh, you know, Davis back. I think Jamel Dean doesn't get nearly enough credit. That man is a baller. He's ha- um, he's
2: having the best season of his career.
1: Listen, he's playing. He's playing aggressive and confident. And if you get him and Davis playing that way, that's good. The biggest problem for us is Winfield being out um, because your safeties have got to help. Um, now, what the other thing I wanted to bring back, and we talked about a little bit earlier, is <clears throat> from from my first blush again, uh, led, any of those guys can correct me if if this is bullshit because it might be. What teams seem to have been committed to doing this year is being patient with the Bucks defense, right? Our first possessions have been atrocious in every game, and I don't quite know why. Uh, like our first possession was terrible, and then we were like, oh, well, that sucked balls. Let's go do something else. And then we, we play great the rest of the whole half. But what teams are doing is they're not giving up running laterally. And they're not giving up running laterally because we can't maintain possession on the other side of the ball. And so they know they're going to be able to gas us. Back in the old days, when we could maintain possession, that didn't work because our guys were fresh enough. You just don't outrun us to the edge. Our guys aren't in the wrong gaps. You try and go around the edge, and we're just going to drag your ass down. Now, by the time the third quarter starts, our guys are on oxygen on the sideline, and those plays start working. Those cutbacks start working, and we do have some younger guys like JTS or Devin trying to overplay something and getting in the wrong gap, and it's one cutback and you're gone. So this is where the offense, I think, does. And to Robert's point, you know, for the last year and a half, at least, uh, if they could just convert one more drive per half i prefer to, and I don't even need them to score necessarily on each one. Just right? I used ball. to do a check on three and outs. Just move the fucking ball. Eat the clock. Right? Look at, so. Look at so sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So when I, when I look at this, it's, it's, it's unfun football because everyone now wants to come out and spread and sling the ball around 60 times. Right. And I'm notoriously the guy that wants to run the ball for four yards of play and then call it good. <laughs> um, but you've got to let your defense get some gas, especially when we're thin. We're not deep at the key positions on defense when they're healthy. And when they're they're they've got their gas. Our defense plays really great, really great football.
2: Look at the time of possession on that Thursday night football game between Baltimore and Tampa Bay. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure Baltimore held the ball for 40 minutes. If not close to that, that's, that's two thirds of the football game. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's a long, long time. Um, and the way Baltimore executed their game plan, I think we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, you and I, James. But they didn't even do anything until the second half. It, it, I, it think, I think the Ravens, I think the Ravens probably did their homework the best out of any team that's played the Bucks so far this season because it felt like everything that they did. I mean, in the first half, it felt hopeless because they were trying to throw the ball and they just couldn't. But it really is one of those things where they had the Bucks right where they wanted them in the third quarter. They started running the ball for a reason because they knew that this defense eventually was going to run out of steam. And to Baltimore's credit, for the last couple of years, when you've got Lamar Jackson, you're going to be one of the better running teams in the league. But that's been a common issue for this Bucks team. And, and we talk about this run defense steadily getting worse throughout the year I said this before on the show, I'll say it again. They are the victim of an offense that cannot score points. And it, yep. to this point, you know, looking at the Baltimore game, they weren't able to control the clock and, and keep the defense off of the field either. But let me ask you about one more thing. that This defense, uh, they started the year doing pretty damn well. And then it just, it, it has completely stopped these last, I think four weeks now, it, it, the bucks are going on without a takeaway, but Matt Stafford, while he is good against Tampa Bay and the matchup isn't great for the Bucks, he has had a lot of turnovers this year. It, it, James, is this the week that we finally see this Bucks defense break their dry spell and, and take one away from Stafford and the Rams?
0: You know, <laughs> you could look at it analytically. You could look at it whichever, whichever way you want to look at it. Uh, one, one thing uh, I was always told is just it's time. You know, and, and I think that it could it could be it's time, you know, hey, it, hey, I,
2: hey, I mean, in the NFL, though, you know, the Bucks have been due for a win for the
0: last two weeks. It just it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. That's true. But but I think now, given like what you said with Stafford, yes, he does play well against the Bucks, but he does have a little bit of a tendency to throw some interceptions and, and uh, you know, have some turnovers. So I do think the Buccaneers could come away with at least one takeaway in this game. I think that that is somewhere in the realm of possibility. Obviously I can't guarantee anything because, you know, it's football, you know, you can't guarantee anything, but I would say that, yeah, there's definitely a chance there for the Buccaneers to finally kind of break this spell that they've been in or break this, uh, you know, kind of funk that they've been in and possibly get a takeaway here against the Rams for sure.
1: They're Takeaways are one of those weird things. They're sometimes schematic. Uh and if Winfield's in there, I always feel more confident that we can do that because I think we get more exotic with the way we handle our coverages. Um, when you've got corners like Dean and Davis, if you let them lock up, it's hard with a guy like Cup, to be honest. Robinson's a good receiver, by the way. I'm not, you know, downing him, but Cup I'm scared of. Cup's a bad, bad man. I mean, uh, we
2: you, we see what he's done this season to, dude, to listen, every team. He, we saw what he did to people, the Bucks
1: last year. People can talk shit all they want. That's a bad man. You gotta scheme you got to scheme and just give him a hundred yards. It may be, he's not Randy Moss from back in the old days. Right. But he's very similar. Like if you think you're just going to eliminate cup, you you're wrong. Right. Um, Turnovers. If you're not getting them through the air because your guys are in the right zones. And we've been very close a couple of times, just our depth off by a yard where a a linebacker in drop misses the ball by an inch. Right. We have had some guys very, very close. Just hasn't happened. If, If you're not getting those, they're, they're, created from violence you got to get home if you call a blitz get home if you hit a back hit them hard right we haven't been we haven't had the balls this year and that's again that's not a slight to the defense that robert defends so aggressively for good reason we're just not doing that right now and i don't think it's because we're soft that's not what i'm saying it's just not part of our dna right now um take the penalties that's like uh, against against the Ravens. And I, I'm i super unpopular for this. You want to run RPO against me? Your quarterback's getting hit every time he runs it. I don't care if you run for 200 extra fucking yards. Your quarterback's getting hit in the chest every fucking time he runs it because he's out there as a running back. If you want to throw a penalty, you throw the flag, but you're going to pull my helmet out of his chest cavity. We didn't do that. Right. We don't have that mentality yet. And we got guys who do. We got guys who do. They do all have that swag. Go hit a motherfucker in the mouth.
2: We we got guys on this defense that have that mentality, and we got a lot of guys on this defense. I'd say 90% of the goddamn defense. They have been there before, right? Super Bowl champions. They yep. know what needs to be done. They know how to go punch a team in the mouth, but you look at who is left, and and I, it seems like an easy narrative, but I feel like it matters. Uh, I, I think a relevant news story this week, actually, Levante David called a players-only meeting this week. And I think that's going to go a long way in the topic that I'm about to bring up. But I think this Bucks defense is missing a, a JPP, a vocal, loud leader who held people accountable. And I'm not saying that JPP was this huge contributor in the stat sheet in 2021 because that he was not. I mean, 2020, 2021, the guy was riddled with injury. He was a playmaker and he was, you know, he was respected in that locker room and he was a vocal leader and he was good to have around. But. The Bucs don't have a presence like that. At least it doesn't seem like they do. It doesn't seem like anybody has really, you know, taken charge to to kind of be that guy. And I think folks expected Levante David to maybe be that guy. And him calling this players' meeting is going to go a long way as well. But Levante's vocal, but like he's never been the most vocal guy in the room. You know what I'm saying? Like it, that was his attitude for a very, very long time. And then Devin White, with all due respect to Devin White. I don't personally look at him as a leader of men right now, just because of his recent actions that could obviously change winning cures all, but you know, what do you make of this defense right now? And that mentality that we just talked about, are, are they missing a, a JPP or anyone else that, you know, they're hurting for right now? And Indominus, sue, for example, keeping guys in check. Like, are they missing that presence?
1: Um, You know, it's funny back in the old days, uh, we used to talk about having a, a wristband that was, W W H N D. What would Hardy Nickerson do? Right. You, you want a, a player that does that. Now, Hardy did it similarly to JPP, um, and does similarly to Warren. Well, hell, let's let's do that. Let's do the thing everyone likes to. Let's talk about Warren versus Derek versus Rondé versus John. All leaders on that defense. Every level, you had one of them. Every level, different. You probably heard Rondé say ten words when he was on the field. Right, John, a little bit lippy. He was a lippy safety because he was hitting people. He was sleeping people back there, right? DB, he was calling plays. Other than that, that's all he was doing. Sap, talking about people's moms, right? You had a bunch of that flavor. LVD is the best linebacker we've had that no one knows about. I, and I'm, I, I get sad sometimes thinking the fact that he is not going to get the respect that he deserves for putting the body of work together that he's put at times with a really shit defense. Right At times where he was the defensive player that was worth a shit. Um, him calling the meeting, I think, is really important. I'm, I'm, I'm not on the anti-Devin bandwagon that everyone else is. He's certainly not played up to his potential, and you're going to amplify that when you come out running your mouth all the time. That's just true. So if Levante had the big brother Devin to go, Devin, listen, man, I'm going to need you to shut the fuck up for a little while until you start hitting people in the mouth and getting interceptions and doing things you're supposed to do, then that's great. That's what a leader does. Uh, they don't always have to be vocal. If you've ever been in a room with a really, really strong leader, sometimes they're the ones who don't talk. And when they do, all of a sudden everyone gets fucking quiet. Because, like, dude, Levante don't usually say shit. So, I'm excited as a Bucks fan, if I take all my coachy hat off, I love that Levante is the one that called this meeting, Right? Because this is a proud defense. Uh, James, I think you said it earlier. Right? This is a proud defense. There's some guys in here that know what it's like to get to the mountaintop. They don't want this window to close. Right? They want to do well enough and this will piss a bunch of people off, that Tom comes back again next year. Because bet your ass we're better off if he comes back next year as long as he's not injured. Oh, yeah. He's still a top-five quarterback in the league, guys, and it's not close.
2: Yeah, I, right? I hopefully people aren't <laughs> taking away a different narrative. We, we've been a little critical of Tom on this show, but let's not sit here and act like he doesn't still have the juice because we talk about the throws that he makes every single week. Guys like John Ledyard, Brian Baldinger, breaking down the All-22 on Twitter. Much appreciated to those guys. showing He does exactly a great job. So does John. I mean, dude, just some of the throws he has made this year—the velocity in that arm—none of that is an issue. Even at 45 years old, it is incredible that we still get to witness it. But I, I do agree—he definitely still does have it, and I want—I want a lot of people to know that because I think we got some Patriots fans in the chat who aren't very happy with us for today's show so far. But listen, folks—that's that's the beautiful thing about an open platform like this. You know what I mean? Are the, like, are the
1: Patriots playing in this game?
2: Oh no, of course not. But
1: oh, I was just checking. Right, I was born in Stoughton, so I can say that. I probably know more quarterbacks and players than they do from the Patriots. They probably came on with – that's not fair. I don't mean to besmirch those guys. Uh, they're probably nice folks. Listen, but, the fact you know, of the matter listen, is – I was a Patriot fan with Grogan and Hannah and Stanley Morgan, so uh, I, I get it. But at the same time, listen, Tom Brady, I marvel at what this guy does. Is he playing the best football he's, that he's played here? No, he's not. Can he start this week? Could he come out this week and throw for 400 fucking yards and six touchdowns? Yep, he, he absolutely could.
2: Bucs are nine weeks into the season. We have one interception. I mean, that in itself, we, we talk about the shortcomings of this offense a lot. And even Tom Brady not quite playing up to the productivity he has these first two seasons in Tampa. The guy has nine touchdowns to two intercep- or to one interception. I mean, what what more could you possibly want? You, you want a safe bet at quarterback, even when he's not playing the best he possibly can be. Tom is still going to be back there throwing the rock around and not. Turning it over. People I think people need to appreciate that a little bit more this time in the season. But uh I know we kind of got off track there. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead.
1: No, that's fine. I was I was rambling on about Levante. I think James had something to weigh in on too. Sorry, James, I didn't mean to step on you.
0: No, no, no. It's quite all right. Yeah, no, just just kind of what you said there, Derek, with you know, Levante David being the guy to call players meeting, you know, that's kind of where that's an idea of like, oh man, that's how you know it's serious business when a guy like Levante David's coming out there and saying, we got to get this together. What are we doing? You know, and specifically on the defensive side of things, you know, on the offensive side, this team does have leaders. Of course it does, you know, geez, one of them is Tom freaking Brady, but uh, on the defensive side of things, you know, kind of take a look at that leadership too, you know, with Devin White and his, you know, he's always said that he wants to be a leader and that's such a double-edged sword, you know, rep me and you have talked about this where, uh, when the team is winning, hey, a lot of people like that confidence that a player is exuding and the the smack talk and whatnot. But if a team is losing and you have a player like that, it's really easy to criticize that. So I know, Derek, you said earlier in this sh- in this show that, you know, you feel a little bit bad for Devin White to a certain degree. Yeah, that's um, a really reasonable thought on that, because you know, trying to showcase some of that leadership and be more of a vocal leader. I feel like you do have a guy with that potential in Devin White, who we've seen have that style of leadership in the past, but every your team starts losing games, people become really critical of that and things get a little bit murky in terms of the waters there. So you do have some other leaders there, like, you know, Carlton Davis in the secondary, more so of a guy who, you know, has been vocal in some ways, shapes or forms. Um, has also tried to lead by example as well. Defensive line, you have Akeem Hicks there as well. We don't really necessarily know what brand of leadership he's been giving so far to that defensive line. You got to remember Vita Bay is there as well. He's been around the league for a few years now. He's been making a ton of money, but I do understand your point, Rhett, where you say like, Hey, you don't have a guy like JPP there right now, um, but you do still have some other leaders there and have a little bit of a guy who's kind of sort of in that similar vein and a guy like Devin white, but trying to figure some things out with that right now.
2: Yeah, it's just going to be up. Uh, it's going to be up to whoever decides to step up, because I, I think between now and the end of the season, the Bucks definitely need to develop somebody who can step up and start holding people accountable. And I think Levante David is obviously that guy. He's just not going to be the one you hear about every single week. You know what I mean? Devin White is going to be the one you hear about every single week because he's the one we can draw the most quotes from. And let me ask you one more take and then we'll get into score predictions and we'll wrap this thing up. We really appreciate both of you guys hanging out with us today. Um, Derek, let me ask you this. People love to draw comparisons between old players, new players, even if it's the same position, you know, two different kind of people, players, people made a lot of comparisons this week. Um, because they were disappointed in Devin White's decision to to not talk to the media. Uh, the day that he turned it down, said, I'm good and, and didn't want to give any quotes in the locker room. A lot of people jumped on Twitter and they jumped on social media and they said, uh, could you imagine if a Derek Brooks did something like that? And a lot of people are going to look at that and say, that's why, you know, Devin White can't be a leader in the long run, because Devin, uh, De- Derek Brooks would never do anything like that. Uh, this and that, this and that. Everybody seems to have an opinion on comparing these guys, and clearly, Devin White, Derek Brooks, are, are not the same person. So they're not, not going to be. Ha- you know, they're not going to behave the same way. But let me ask you this: I say all of that to say this. Do you think, in the long run, Devin White could be a leader on this defense? It, oh yeah. It, you know, he is. He's he's emotional. Oh, yeah. oh, he's emotional. Yeah. He's he's got an ego. He's got a loud mouth. You know, sometimes it costs him. But it, it, is this the Bucks? Is let me ask this. Sorry. Words are hard. We've been doing the pod for a little bit. Um, <laughs> can Devin White, in, in in a year's time, can Devin White turn himself into the linebacker that the Bucs want to pay $100 million? Because I think the Bucs would like things to work out with Devin White. He's been a pretty solid draft pick since they got him all the way back in 2019. You know, So can he turn into that guy? I don't think he's going to be a Derrick Brooks overnight, but can he turn into a leader in the long run for the people who are – just kind of disappointed in the way he's acted lately.
1: So uh, my answer to that is for the people who are disappointed, uh, I don't know, watch the Kardashians. Uh, that's that's the kind of football you're looking for. Uh, you, you know, has he held out for a new contract? Because Derek Brooks did that. I thought that wasn't team first behavior, right? But this guy's got, he's got statues all over Tampa, right? I don't mind that he did it. You got to get your money, right? But back then, man, people were pissed, People forget like we, we, we throw on those rose colored glasses and think everybody was perfect. Devin white's biggest challenge right now is you got to do your job first before you can carry the team on your back. So if you're going to get looked at in film room and be out of your gap, you don't get to be that dude. The reason Derek was that dude is because Derek never was out of position. Derek did his goddamn job, every play, every game. Right. And once you do that, you can elevate others. Now, Actually, physically, there's some really interesting differences between those two guys. Devin's a better blitzer than Derek Brooks ever was. Devin is one of the best natural blitzers from that position that I've seen in a long time. Right? He has a liability in coverage. Every once in a while, he shows up and can do really good things there. He, it's not that he's incapable. He's got to, he's got to believe that he has to get better at his craft. I think he thinks he got there when they got yes. the Super Bowl.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. And he needs someone to go, dude. Listen, Jerry Rice was running up sand hills 27 years into his career trying to get better right and he was one of the best receivers ever put on pads so you got to have that same hunger and i think if he does that it's fine you get three good games from devin white where he's busting motherfuckers in the mouth and playing good football again and people forget all about it right but but the the way you respond to the media is always going to be second guessed right always no matter what you do right The, the easy way to do that don't let the media in, and I was, you know, pseudo media, fringe media, I guess is what they called us. We always wanted to get that hot take, what's going on, and then try and read between the lines. And I'm too old now. Fuck that. These, that's like people interviewing people coming right off the field, right? Stop it, especially after a loss. You're lucky you're not getting punched in the goddamn mouth. So, so yes, I, I think Devin could absolutely be that guy. I think right now it's Levante who's got a big brother in, him, and Levante can do it. Listen, Levante again. He's Mike Evans without the without the rep. Right, right, right. You look at his stats and put him next to some of these guys. They're going to get jackets, and you're going to be like, God damn. Yeah, you know, same way with Rondé, right? We know Rondé. We we bang the Rondé drum, but if you didn't live in Tampa, no one knows who the hell Rondé Barber is, except for the Eagles. They know. Fuck you, Philly.
2: <laughs> man, oh man. Let's wrap this thing up with some score predictions and get the hell out of here. So. It's going to be a send a game for Tampa Bay. They take on the three and four L.A. Rams. Bucks are three and five week nine action at 425 p.m. Live from Raymond James Stadium. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are favored by three this week. Believe it or not, even though they have lost five out of their last six games, the Bucks are still three point favorites at home this week. The over under is forty two and a half. So I'm going to ask you guys your uh, your pick, and then I'll ask you if you think it's going to be over or under again, 42 and a half. If you guys are in the live chat and want to participate as well, we'll tally off a couple of those before the show. But. These are uh, some underperforming offenses, to say the least, and I, I think coming into this one, I, I think the Bucks defense is going to have the hot start. It's, it's going to be a question of if they can take advantage, because I think at some point, I hate to say that I don't have much faith in this offense to figure it out this week and score 30 plus points. I just don't. But I think at some point, if the Bucs want to maintain or maintain, if the Bucs want to come out victorious, I think you're going to have to force a takeaway. I think this has to be the week. I think if the Rams do not turn the ball over, they're going to win this game. Um, With that being said, I've got a particularly low scoring affair, but I will take the over by just enough as it is 44 combined points. I've got the Tampa Bay, or 45, excuse me. I've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming out on top in a close game, 24 to 21. So I, I know it's the eternal optimist in me. I know it's the fan that says they're going to figure it out just enough to we, uh, this week to get the win, but everybody in that Bucs locker room knows that they need a win. Everybody on that coaching staff knows that they need a win, and this is going to be Tom Brady, and maybe this coaching staff's Last chance to get back at the L.A. Rams that has just, I mean, this is a team with Sean McVay at head coach. They have owned the Bucks and they have, quite frankly, made them look silly the last three times that they matched up. In 2020, they got the win with Jared Goff. 2021, week three regular season, they got the win in L.A. Also took out Rob Gronkowski for pretty much the rest of the goddamn season. And then, of course, they ended Tampa Bay season. So to say that this one is personal, would be a little bit of an understatement. I think it's a close back and forth game, but I, I got the Bucks taking it 24-21. James, your prediction.
0: Yeah, you know, when I initially uh, talked about this game at the start of the season, I had the Bucks losing, and a lot has changed since yeah. then. <laughs> yeah, send so, three and five, just like we all predicted. <laughs> right. So in this case, you know, I think I'll take the under here. I think I'll have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, getting a win of 21 to 17. I I think it will be a pretty low scoring affair. I still don't have a lot of confidence in the offense um, to put up a, a ton of points until they can prove that they can do so. But I think with the returnings of Akeem Hicks, Carlton Davis, and Sean Murphy bunting as well. That can go a long way in terms of helping this defense. Like you said, Rhett, if they do get a takeaway, that's huge as well, or two, or three, you know, depending. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's huge. So I think that we will see some improvement here. The Buccaneers, you know, I know we've been saying it for a little bit now, but I think they are due for a win at this point. Uh And you know, hey, if they lose this game, oh, geez, Louise. Uh, people are going to lose their minds even more so than what they already have. So I'll give them the win here. I think it will be a pretty hard-hitting affair, but I do think it is one that Tampa Bay can come out victorious of.
1: Well, I always pick the Bucks to win. I've never not picked the Bucs to win. I also don't go to Vegas, which is a good thing, given that I always pick the Bucs to win. Um, so my picks are always based on them doing the things they need to do. And I do think that the offense this week starts to right the ship a little bit. Uh, I agree on the defensive side. Uh, I would definitely bet the over. Um, I think it's going to be higher scoring than people anticipate. I think it's a 27, 24 game towards the end and then a late touchdown by the defense maybe makes it, uh, makes it bigger than that. Um, 34, 24 kind of thing. I, this team can put out 30 points. It just can. It hasn't. Uh, It hasn't because of a bunch of reasons, not the least, which being really shit execution. Um, So, you know, get out there and execute. They put 31 up on Kansas city. Uh, this team is not a team that has gotten run out of a lot of rooms. Carolina was the worst game this year. Uh, and to be honest, it's still an anomaly in my mind, but you look at these other games and, in, in, you know, it's a two point game here. Any one of those games with an extra touchdown and the game slipped. Right. And every one of those games, we had drives that were touchdown capable drives that we stepped on our own dicks on. So um, this offense doesn't have to get incredibly better to put up points. Um, I hope it is a time uh, for uh, for the offense to right the ship and for us to continue. And listen, Mike Evans. I think he said Evans said he wasn't the top three receiver. He's been a top three receiver since he walked into the league. He's a mismatch every time he steps on the field unless he is injured. That is the the only thing that can stop Mike Evans is his body. That's it. So, you know, Tom just needs to leverage him. And then Scotty looks fast. Scotty last week, despite not having a lot of output, Scotty's got his wheels back. Now he needs to find his hands. Hopefully he found them in the locker room, um, but I still don't think Tom has gotten to the point where he he trusts Scotty. He'll slang it out there to him. Um, maybe it's time for Scotty to show up, right? Yeah. I think there's someone's got to show up in that game because Godwin's always going to be there, right? Godwin's a machi- machine. Um, he seems to like what he's got out of Cade Otten, and Cade's played well. Keith is playing well at the H back, um, but but I haven't seen enough out of Russell Gage, and I'm just not a Julio. Julio's is an end of the year guy. You got to get to the playoffs for him to matter.
2: Hey, maybe we'll see a little more Julio this week because Russell Gage was ruled out today for Tampa Bay. And listen, he's, he's struggled with injury all year. It's been that hamstring injury. Those are always tricky with wide receivers. It's ended the season of Mike Evans prematurely before. And, uh, you know, Gage, he's been in there. He's got his targets. He's got a couple of catches. I think he has one touchdown on the season if I remember correctly. But, uh, yeah, you would like to see some more output from output from him eventually, but, Listen, the Bucks have the bye week coming up next week. They play in Germany the week after that. They got another 14 day break. So maybe by the end of that, we can start to see Russell Gage work his way into the offense a bit more consistently, but, uh, you know, hopefully you work your way, you
1: week. work your way to five and five going into that 14 day break and people's eyebrows better start raising. There's some teams that are not going to be real happy about that. Yeah, Everyone in the NFC right now wants the Bucks to stack two losses right now because they're not out of it at nine and seven in this shit division that we're in. <laughs> right um but but let them stack two wins and then all of a sudden get 14 days to get healthy and get things righted no one wants to see that yeah
2: tampa bay already uh, except coming. for us yeah tampa bay <laughs> already coming off of a nice 11 day break coming into this one so hopefully that can play to their benefit on sunday afternoon checking in on the live chat before we wrap up here some score predictions our buddy Harvinder says bucks win 31 13 i've got faith in brady and the team emily compa 34 24 bucks Good call, Emily. I like it. Everybody picking the Bucks to win this week. All right, we got one more thing that we got to do rather unceremoniously um, because we normally do it at the start of the show. But to be honest with you, for the past two shows, I have forgotten. So um, we have a calendar behind me. And at the start of every month, usually the first show of the month, we decide to flip the page. Hopefully, November's cover athlete uh, doesn't end the month as badly as October's did. So we are going to turn the page here very quick. For this is this is for the video people, by the way. Uh, the audio podcast. You guys are the backbone of the show, and we truly appreciate you. But I'm telling you, folks, YouTube is the best way to experience the podcast. All right, here we go. Antoine Winfield Jr., who didn't have the best October, going into November. James, can I get a uh, a drum roll, please?
0: Wait. Yeah. Uh, I can't do a drum uh, roll. I can't
2: pick
1: it up. It's all right. All right. All right.
2: November is the big man himself, Vita Vea. Big number 50.
1: If big number 50 comes up big, and listen, no quarterback likes pressure up the middle. It's just true. It's the shortest distance. Um, it's it, it annoys the shit out of them and interrupts their reads. Uh, Stafford's not exactly fleet of foot. Um, so you get big fella rumbling through there and some shit can get sideways fast. Hey. So let's hope that the counter a good call.
2: Hopefully, you get a healthy Akeem Hicks back this week who can eat up some more of those double teams because, I listen, Nacho is respectable as a rotational guy, but he's not going to get as much attention as a healthy Akeem Hicks. Even an Akeem Hicks at 75%, I think, is going to garner some more attention than maybe a, a, a Rakeem nunez Roche. So, hopefully, that can open some more doors for Vita Veya and the rest of the pass rush this weekend against LA. But, ladies and gentlemen, with all of that being said, that's just about going to do it for this week's game preview edition of the Canon. Fire podcast. Special thanks to our good buddy James Hill, Mr. Bucks Nation from Bucksnation.com for hanging out with us this week. Expect to see a lot more of his pretty face going forward because uh I hate to break it to you guys. I I, I just I don't see Evan coming off a of suspension anytime soon. Maybe we'll have to have that conversation eventually, but uh I mean his actions were were uh were pretty Jesus, bad. What did he do? Uh I'll tell you after the show. So Okay <laughs> i'm like holy shit oh man um (laughs) so (laughs) thank you to james thank you more importantly ladies and gentlemen derek old school fournier of what the buck um i i mean i can't thank you enough for your time tonight we took up a good hour and a half of your time this is one of the longer shows we've done in a minute but a lot of great insight and always a pleasure to hear you. I know you don't do the podcast anymore, but where can people find you and uh, the content you still do put out?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm still active on Twitter. Uh, I think people get annoyed by me. Most of the people have muted me because I tell them they're stupid because I'm an asshole. Um, but uh, the other thing that our team still does, uh, you know, while I stopped doing the podcast, the what the buck really matters foundation goes on, you know, Cheryl Stewart uh, spent uh, WTB on Twitter and the entire team over there, buck nuts and, Bucks Addict and the, the Evil Twins and and the whole crew, Shawnee. They're just tireless. I think we just donated $7,500 to the, the charity of the month last month uh, and still the tail, only Hall of Fame tailgate in Tampa Bay. Uh, they keep trying to kill us, and we keep finding new places. So uh, I'll tweet out the location this week. It's uh, for Jackson Action. So salute to service it is the charity this month, along with Movember, which will start as well. So Twitter is probably the best place to find me, um, and then at the tailgate and then at the game. So uh, thanks again. I appreciate the invite. It, it's nice to come on and do this. It's funny. Someone asked me the other day, um, do you miss doing the podcast? And I, resounding? No, not at all. Um, um, but, but I do miss good conversation. I miss what used to be good faith. And I just wish people would realize that if you think something is too obvious, it probably fucking is right. So please stop with the crazy positions on Twitter and thinking that shit's just, I mean, you said it's not plug and play. Sean knows it. Like Sean doesn't tolerate that shit either. If this shit was easy, everyone would do it. Promise you. So thanks again for having me on. And James is good seeing you. And uh, I can't wait to hear what the hell Evan did. I hope he didn't kick a puppy or something. Oh
2: yeah. Nothing, nothing that bad, but uh, it is pretty vile. Thanks again to Derek. We were talking about it before the show. Um, We had, we had Derek on all the way back on episode three of the podcast. And we are just a couple away from officially having episode 300. So, I mean, you've literally been there since the beginning and you've been there since before the beginning, because if I wasn't listening to Buck's Brief podcast and I wasn't listening to what the buck, I never would have wanted to, to, you know, to have this crazy ass idea to start my own. So regardless of how stressful the season has been, it's become a very, very, um, a very fun passion project. I guess that's the the, the term I have for it right now. But and it, and it, can,
1: it, it can it can't be like my little comment about it. Do I miss it? Listen, I want to clarify something here. <laughs> When I did it, I loved it. And, and a part of me, because I have two sons, one's now 16 and one's 10. My 16-year-old couldn't give two shits about football, never could, right? Um, my 10-year-old loves it. When I was doing cool shit, like having players' phone numbers and hanging out with them and knowing their families, my 16-year-old, who was then 12, didn't give a shit, or, or an eight, didn't care, right? So it, it's a great thing. You've got a great ecosystem. There's a lot of good content being put out there. There's also a lot of shit content. Be a discerning listener, understand the difference learn about this beautiful game we get to celebrate. Cause it really is a beautiful game. If you let yourself learn about it. Um, so, so yeah, I don't mean to besmirch the entire thing. It's, it can be a lot of fun and congratulations on getting to 300. That's a hell of a stay in power, right? Uh, you live through some really dark times. So, uh, so enjoy the light times and hopefully there'll be many more to come.
2: Hell yeah, man. Thank you again to Derek and James for jumping on the show this week. Follow the show on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is where you can find us. All of those are Canon Fire Podcast. You can check out James and his YouTube channel at Mr. Bucks Nation. You can also check out his written work at BucksNation.com. Whenever he does decide to put up some articles
0: because, you know. Hey, I put up an article today, man. Hell yeah. What, what's, it, what's it about? Where can people find it? Uh, Yeah, at BucksNation.com. I just wrote an article today about uh, who could possibly be an X Factor in this matchup. Uh, and I actually wrote about Akeem Hicks, so look at that. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the show. Next
2: time we talk to you, it'll be Sunday night following Week Nine's game against the Bucks and the Rams. Win, lose, or draw. We're going to be live right here for our post-game reaction podcast, youtube.com forward slash Podcast. I'm your host, Rhett Matthew, signing off from my co-host James Hill and our special guest, Derek Fournier. We'll talk to you in the next one. Until then, and as always, thanks for listening, and go Bucks!